Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's May 25th, 2021, and that means there's seven months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll talk about a little town that has a bigger impact on your Christmas than you probably realized, Yiwu, China. We'll also count down the top five Christmas moments from British panel shows, give you a recipe for candy cane pizza, and extend your deadline for some merry musings. Okay, let's start the show! Yule Believers, I'm Tim Babb, and I would like to welcome you to the final Can't Wait for Christmas podcast from the Christmas Cave. Wait, what? You're ending the show? No, imaginary listener sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. I'm not ending the show at all. But you just said this is the last episode. I said it's the last episode from the Christmas Cave. You see, we just bought a house, so we'll be leaving lovely Redwood City, California, which has been our home for the entire run of this podcast, and moving to our new home in San Jose, California. And in our new home, I won't be relegated to the garage like I am now. I'll get my own Christmas office. But, uh, will you still call your office the Christmas Cave? Yeah, probably. So there will be no difference from the listener's point of view? Uh, none whatsoever, yeah. Almost seems pointless to bring this up at all, much less spend this much time on it at the beginning of a show. You're right! This isn't a Moving to New Houses podcast, this is a Christmas podcast. And I, for one, need a little Christmas now. We need a this year, I've declared 2021 to be 2020 yum, which means every month I'm including a recipe you can make at home for a literal taste of Christmas anytime. And today we're throwing a pizza party, or more specifically, a candy cane pizza party. Now, before you get worried, no, I'm not talking about sprinkling crushed candy canes on a perfectly good pizza. This is essentially a pepperoni pizza shaped like a candy cane. I found several recipes for this online from the incredibly complex to the super duper easy. So I went the super duper easy route because the less instructions there are, the less chances I have to mess it up. So I found this one at Hormel.com and it only lists three ingredients. One 11 ounce package of refrigerated breadsticks, one package of pepperoni. They recommend Hormel brand pepperoni, but I'm pretty sure they're biased on this part. And one and a half cups of shredded mozzarella. Now I would add a fourth ingredient, pizza sauce or marinara sauce, but I'll circle back to that in a bit. Let's just get down to the preparation instructions. First, preheat your oven to 375. Then get yourself a baking sheet, line it with parchment paper, and put a little grease on it. I like to use cooking spray. It's just easier. Then unroll your breadstick dough and separate the pieces. Place them on the baking sheet, but not straight up and down like you normally would. Shape them into a candy cane hook shape. Then, sprinkle with the cheese, and finally, add the pepperoni in a way that looks like candy cane stripes. Then, bake for about 10 to 13 minutes, or until it's golden. 
Now that's where the official recipe ends, but I say you pour a little of that pizza sauce into a tiny bowl and you've got yourself a dip for your candy cane pizza. Genius, right? I'm sure I'm the first person to think of this innovation. And there you have it. I'll put a link to the recipe in the show notes of this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and you can try it for yourself. If you try it, let us know how you liked it. And now it's time to turn to the television for our next segment, Five Golden Things. During the lockdown last year, when you all were streaming that Tiger show, I discovered a love for British panel shows. It's not a thing we really do in America. We have game shows and talk shows, but this is a different animal from either of those. Basically, they all seem to grab comedians and celebrities and play trivia and games with them. Apologies to anyone listening in the UK, as I'm probably doing an abysmal job of describing these types of shows. But the great thing is, because I'm just discovering these shows, there's plenty of episodes for me to go through. And that includes multiple Christmas episodes. So I thought I'd rank my favorite panel show Christmas moments for you today. Parental warning, they are not as restrictive with foul language on these shows as they are here in the U.S., so while I'm obviously not going to play the saltier parts of these shows on the podcast, you should be aware of that before you seek these shows out to watch on your own. Okay, let's get started with... Number 5! 8 out of 10 cats, Jedward finding out about Spuds You Live! This show has the second weirdest title on this list. It's a show hosted by comedian Jimmy Carr and asks questions of two teams of three. In the 2011 Christmas episode, the team captains were comedians Sean Locke and John Richardson. And the important part of this clip is that on John Richardson's team was comedian Greg Davis and pop duo Jedward. Now, if you don't know who Jedward are, you're not alone. But suffice to say, most of the comedy from this episode comes from the other panelists making fun of these oddball things that they say. Like this clip, where Sean Locke has made up a Christmas game as a joke, and Jedward clearly doesn't get the concept, and it's all too much for Greg Davis. And then we always play that. Could you ever play uh, uh, Spud You Live? Spud You Live at Christmas? Oh, Spud You Live? Yeah, well, you get an atlas, and you get your baked potato, and you work out which country your baked potato resembles most. You never play that. It's good with Ireland, because Ireland looks quite baked potatoy. So you, get, so you get an atlas, you get your potato, potato. potato. You play, what, what do you have the potato? You, you just potato. see which, which you just country. Eating it. You have beans and everything. Beans? What do you do? Like, you have a potato, you open it up, you like, eat Is it. Is this show going on, or has someone just fed me LSD? <laughs> QI, you lad confusion. This long-running show is hosted by Sandy Toxvig, who took over from Stephen Fry in 2016 and has sadly announced she's leaving the show. It's another quiz-type show, but it's littered with lots of little-known facts and different perspective on things that you thought you knew. That's a very dry description for what is a very joy-filled game. There are two teams of two competing every episode. Comedian Alan Davis is typically on one team, and the rest of the slots rotate episode to episode. For the 2016 Christmas episode, the other guests were comedians Josh Whittacombe and Susan Kalman, and actor Matt Lucas. And the silliness happened during this question, which, spoiler alert, is about the Scandinavian Yule Lads. Who are spoon licker, doorway sniffer, sausage swiper, and meat hook? No. Yes, Josh. Is that how you refer to us for? <laughs> Are they reindeer? No, they're not reindeer, but it is obviously a Christmassy thing. I, I think I, I know the answer, yes, kind go. of. I think it's something to do with Iceland and Christmas. Okay, it is something to do with Iceland and Christmas. Does anybody have any ideas what oh, it might is that... be? Josh, yes. Is it the nativity people? Yes, in, those in... are all Me the people too. who turned up to meet Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. 
I, when I said it, I thought, I've, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've never felt so stupid yeah. in my life. Number three. Would I lie to you? Writing Christmas cards. This is a show that's basically one long party game. There are two teams of three, and one at a time, the contestants tell stories. Then the other team has to guess if the person is telling a truth or telling a lie. The show is hosted by Rob Brighton, and the two team captains are David Mitchell and Lee Mack. Here's the thing, though. The contestants have to read their initial stories off a card. If it's true, they obviously have no issues. But if it's a lie, they themselves are seeing that lie for the first time. So when the other team starts asking them questions to tell whether or not it's true, the contestant has to make things up on the spot. I find they keep giving Lee Mack more and more impossible stories for him to bluff his way through. And that's especially true of this clip from the 2014 Christmas special of Would I Lie to You. I can write so well with my right foot that to save time writing Christmas cards, I... (laughs) I simultaneously write one card with my hand and one card with my foot. (laughs) David's team. I think we just want to have a demonstration. (laughs) So can you write one card to Rob and one to me? All right. I can think of another time saver, actually, because you can actually get cards where they've already printed Happy Christmas on them for you. And that's the kind of emotionless man you are. (laughs) You get them printed when it says, Sorry to hear that someone's died, and then you've got David. Number two. Eight out of ten cats does countdown predicting beam rules. Remember when I said eight out of ten cats was the second strangest title on this list? Well, this here's the strangest. You see, there's a game show called Countdown where two teams compete in math and spelling challenges. For some reason, they decided to have the regulars from eight out of ten cats play this game, and now it's called eight out of ten cats does countdown. They brought over host Jimmy Carr and team captains Sean Locke and John Richardson, and I'm glad they did, because this is the show that was my entry point into panel shows. But full disclosure, even though Cats Does Countdown has done many impressive Christmas episodes, the clip I'm going to play is not a Christmas episode of the show, but it is a Christmas bit. And this clip has two parts. The first is from near the start of the show, when each player is getting their introductions. Sean Locke makes this bold move. I've got a... An amazing trick I'm going to perform, a feat of prediction. I've written a word down in this envelope, and at some point in the show, someone's going to come up with that word. It's going to come up on that board. I'm going to give this to Rachel, and if Rachel will be so kind, she can open the envelope, and the word that will be up on the board there will be in this envelope. An incredible mind trick. Well, it's that way, yeah. It's predictive power. Then, after about 25 minutes of the show and several rounds go by, they are playing a letters round. This is where nine random letters are picked, and the contestants have to try and spell a word with those letters. The contestant who spells the longest word wins. In this particular round, John Richardson tried to pass off beam rules as a word. Spoiler alert, it's two words. That's when Sean Locke stunned everyone. I'd like you now to open that card, Rachel. <laughs> find the word in there is beam rules. <laughs> OK, well, this is extraordinary. I mean, this, this is, is extraordinary. OK, that, no one has seen that card move. We've all been keeping an eye on it. It's got Santa on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does it say, Rachel? It... To Brian and Margaret. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> 
Christmas, you pair of tosses. <laughs> from Sean, from next door. <laughs> Sean was. I know, what, I know what happened now. That Brian and Margaret have got a card with beam rules in it. <laughs> Taskmaster Christmas Crackers. This is another one where it's not a full Christmas episode, it's just a Christmas bit. Taskmaster is a show where Alex Horn makes five comedians perform oddball tasks over the course of a couple months. Then he brings the comedians and the footage into the studio for the Taskmaster, who is comedian Greg Davis, to judge. In this particular task, the contestants were tasked with building a Christmas cracker. We join the show just after they have just seen James Acaster and Phil Wang's attempt at Christmas crackers. We've both went down a very similar route here, a full Christmas. And I just had water Christmas dinner. Yeah. My water needed for mine? No, I, and a full bottle of wine, which is incredible. My one came with a fork and knife, so mine you could take outside into the woods. Well, we all love to spend Christmas <laughs> out in the woods. In, in one of Santa's gardens. Uh. Eight out of ten cats, carrot in a box. Originally, I didn't want to have any show on this list more than once, but I knew I had to get the Jedward clip from earlier on this list, and I absolutely had to get this one too. In this clip, Jimmy has brought Sean Locke and John Richardson to the center stage with two boxes in front of them to play a game called Carrot in a Box. I'll let Jimmy take it from there. Okay, Sean, you can look inside your box. John, you cannot look inside your box. Okay, you want the carrot, Sean. I, no, 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 don't, don't, don't put no hands in the box. You can look inside the box. Have you looked? Have you seen? Yeah. Okay. You now have to convince John to swap his box if you think he has the carrot or keep your box. It's a game of bluff. The winner yeah. is the one with the carrot. Oh, I, I'm, I'll, I'll keep this. I mean, he seems confident there's a carrot in there. He's seen the floor in this Jimmy's game. Jimmy's blowing off. <laughs> what do you mean, Jimmy's blowing off? It's my job. Okay, I'm stopping the clip here, but do yourself a favor. Go find and watch the full clip. Carrot in a box, 8 out of 10 cats. There is some salty language peppered in this clip, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. And that's my list. Did I miss your favorite panel show Christmas moment? Please write in and let me know because I bet I want to watch it too. Leave a comment at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now a word from one of the other fine podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. What do two poets who are Christmas geeks do when they get together? They get drunk and argue about Yuletide Lit. It's time to get lit for Christmas. Join us as we open the liquor cabinet, grab a book off the shelf, and have a little boozy conversation about what warms our chestnuts and makes us holly and jolly. Find out the best screwdriver to scrooge with. Get the recipe for Gift of the Magi Mojitos, 
enjoy a little peppermint patty polar express. Everyone's welcome at this party. It's time to do some jingle bell jello shots and talk about the great and maybe not so great works of Christmas literature. Hurry up, the fireplace is roaring and Bing Crosby's crooning. We're two drinks in and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future are flowing. Grab a cup of cheer and find a place on the couch. It is time to get lit for Christmas. Welcome back. So earlier in Five Golden Things, I was talking about panel shows in the UK, and I'd like to circle back to the 2019 Christmas episode of QI. Just as the show was getting started, the host dropped this factoid. 60% of the world's Christmas decorations are made in China, in a single town there. Now, there was no more information provided. That was just the setup to a question about China, specifically what the Qin Dynasty made candles out of. But I was like, hold up. You're telling me... More than half of the world's Christmas decorations are made in one city. So I decided I need to find out more about this city. And that's what we're going to do today as we talk about Yiwu, China. Now, before I get up too far in, I want to make it clear, I have no unique insight into Chinese culture. I'm not an anthropologist or a historian or a poli-sci major. I'm not trying to make any political statements. I'm just a curious party with Google who wanted to know more about a city that apparently makes 60% of the Christmas decorations. So, if you know more about this than I do, which is always a distinct possibility, and you find I'm not providing the proper context, please let me know. Because there's nothing like a half-black, half-white American dude doing a presentation on a Chinese city he's never even set foot in during Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, right? Yeah. Okay. That said, I am going to try and do my best. Yiwu is located about 190 miles southwest of Shanghai in China. From what I was able to learn, Yiwu started off as an agricultural town. But to supplement farm income, they would have what's known as walking traders, who would travel to other villages trading candy, which they could make from sugar and honey, and trade it for chicken feathers, which were very useful for farming. But from the early 1950s to late 1970s, private citizens could not trade or do business for themselves. So this walking trade became illegal. But these walking traders would find a way to trade anyway because the people were so poor. And it was not easy. If you were caught, you could have your money or goods confiscated or even be thrown in prison. Then, according to YiwuMarketGuide.com, one woman and one mayor would have a profound effect on the city in April of 1982. According to the site, after her goods were confiscated again, Mrs. Feng, a young woman with five kids, went directly to then Yiwu Mayor Mr. Ji Gaohua's office and told him that she wanted to sell in the streets. Why the governor does not care people's living or death? I am pretty sure there was a glitch in the translation there, but I think you get the idea of what she said. Uh, back to the site. After a short but intense argument, she slammed the door and went out. This slam also slammed the mayor, who went into a several-month investigation in Yiwu. After his investigation, he found that the traders were all in a better living condition than the peasants. So he made a decision. Let it go. That was a very brave decision. He could easily lose his job or even be put in prison for supporting capitalism. And it was very lucky that Mr. Deng Xiaoping, the former China president, was also considering free trade, at least partially, at that time. 
So the result was one of the first free trade markets in the People's Republic of China, and it was successful and kept getting more successful every year. The area went from just over 500 township-owned enterprises in the early 80s to more than 7,600 with an additional 1,600 village and individual-owned enterprises by 1993. So farming was phased out and trading and manufacturing were phased in. Yiwu became a small commodities market. Now people come from all over the world to buy from the international trade market in Yiwu. This place sounds nuts. You could go there, well, not at the time of this recording because of travel restrictions, but normally you could go there and you'd see this huge interconnected market made up of five buildings or districts, over 50,000 shop fronts inside to sell you everything from toys to clothes to appliances to jewelry to hardware and probably hundreds of things I've not mentioned. And according to a BBC article I read, there's an entire level just for Christmas stuff. Ornaments, trees, dancing Santa Clauses. If you bought it and it says made in China on it, there's a good chance it came from this city. And they can really churn it out. I read that when the artificial tree factory is running at full capacity, they can pump out 1,500 trees every two minutes. And while you could indeed travel to explore this intimidating Christmas wonderland, their real customers are businesses that send reps here to make orders for the year. And make no mistake, there are a lot of orders being made. In 2019, it was estimated that their Christmas sales were close to $280 million. However, in 2020, due to COVID, it was probably about half of that. COVID hit at the exactly wrong time for Yiwu. Not that there was ever a good time for COVID to hit anyone, but many or even most of the factory workers aren't from Yiwu. People migrate from all over China for the opportunity to make money in Yiwu's 600 factories, and they often go home for Lunar New Year and return in March. Unfortunately, March was exactly the time things started shutting down last year. Couple that with the aforementioned travel restrictions, and businesses couldn't send their reps to Yiwu to place orders. On top of that, orders for the Christmas season are usually placed in early summer. But people didn't know what the economy was going to look like by the end of the year, so orders were very light. Not that life was super easy in these Yiwu factories before COVID. Workers would often have to hustle to meet demand and end up putting in 12-hour days. Not to mention they are doing repetitive movements and exposed to plastic and paint fumes. One thing I had never thought about was forced to confront when researching the city is those cute decorations with the red glitter on them. Someone, or more than likely several someones, had to stand in a room and apply that glitter just glitter filling the air for eight or heaven forbid 12 hours i read they have to change masks eight to ten times a day to keep from breathing in that stuff and that's just one item and if that makes you wonder about the people who do this work then you are in luck serbian documentary filmmaker laden kovakovic released a film last year called merry christmas yiwu where his cameras followed several workers in the yiwu christmas factories but it's not a story about factory work it's a window into the lives loves worries and dreams of these people oh did you see the movie No, I actually haven't seen it yet. It's apparently not available to watch online. So, shouldn't you have waited till you saw the movie before talking about it on this podcast? Probably. But as the name of this podcast says, I have a hard time waiting for things. Besides, I wanted to share this quote from the director about Yiwu. He says, I saw a job posting outside the gate of a factory on my first day in Yiwu, and I was shocked by the salary levels of the workers. Their general salary was several times that of Serbian workers. The young workers I saw in the factory almost had one of the latest Apple iPhones, which is impossible in Serbia and other Eastern European countries. This so-called cheap labor in China is not so cheap anymore. After that, I realized that most Westerners had an outdated thought of China. 
So there's definitely a lot to explore in this city that makes Christmas for the world. As I mentioned, I'm in the process of moving right now, and I packed up all my Christmas decorations and supplies the other day, and it filled my entire minivan. I'm talking middle row of seats removed, still packed to the rafters. I even forgot to bring all the wrapping paper and the Christmas dishes, so I have no doubt that I have plenty of stuff that originated in Yiwu. And when I'm decorating the house this year, I will certainly spare a thought for all the men and women who work so hard to get these Christmas trinkets in my hand. I know Christmas is about much more than baubles and gifts, but those things certainly add to the fun of it. So I guess I should say thank you, Yiwu, for making so much of the stuff we take for granted every Christmas. Now, normally this time we transition to our new segment for 2021, Seasons Musings, where I pose a Christmas question to you and I play your answers on the show. But I only just asked the latest question in the bonus episode a little over a week ago. So I wanted to give people a little more of a chance to send in their answers to our latest question. What is the most interesting piece of Christmas trivia you know? Record yourself sharing your favorite bit of Christmas trivia and send it to us at Christmas at Tancast.com. We'll play all your answers on the next show. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Be sure to check out the show notes for that recipe for candy cane pizza, and I've also included lots of links to the articles I read to find out info on Yiwoo. The next time I talk to you, it will be from my new home, the capital of Silicon Valley, San Jose. So stay safe out there, send in your Christmas trivia, and most of all, until next time, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2021. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, Can't Wait for Christmas pod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! So I went these so I went the super duper easy route because the less instructions there are, the less chances I have. Dang it, I whacked the mic. Don't whack the mic. This long running show is hosted by Sandy Togsvig. 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 This long running show is hosted by Sandy Togsvig. Togsvig. This long running show is hosted by Tan I, I missed I missed up Sandy, much less Toxvig. This is going to be rough.
because there's nothing like a half-black, half-white American dude doing a presentation on a city he's never set foot in. Nope. Because there's nothing like a half-black, half-white American dude doing a presentation on a Chinese city he's... No. Because there's nothing like a half-black, half-white American dude doing a presentation on a Chinese city he's never even set foot in during Asian American and Pacific Islander... Ah! That's too long of a sentence. And if that makes you wonder about the people who do this work, then you are in luck. Serbian documentary filmmaker... Oh, no. Oh, heavens. Oh, boy. I'm sorry, Mr. Serbian documentary filmmaker. I did not look up your name before I started this, and now I must do so. Let's give this a pause-a-roo.